Welcome to the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, helping you unleash the greatness within your dog. Hello and welcome everybody, I'm Doggy Dan from the onlinedogtrainer.com video website. Thanks ever so much for tuning into this podcast, show number nine, which is all about myths surrounding dog training. So inside this show, I'm going to go through 10 myths. Could have gone through a lot more. Unfortunately, there are an awful lot of things which I have to say aren't really um, firmly grounded in any facts at all. They're what I would call myths. They're not really true. Um, But we're going to go through 10, and they're in no particular order. But these are certainly 10, which I think you'll find fascinating. And I certainly think it will really revolutionize the way you train your dog, the way you approach your dog, the way you think about your dog training, and um, will make it a whole lot easier for you. So just before we kick off, a little reminder, the show notes for what I'm talking about can be found at www.doggydan.com forward slash show nine, or just go to doggydan.com and do a search. Let's get started. Myth number one, dog training takes lots of time. Well, I guess if you don't know what you're doing, it can take absolutely years. And in fact, you never get there. The good news is if you know what you're doing, it it is not that tricky at all. I mean, obviously, you do have to put some patience in there and some time and some other commitments and all the rest of it. And, you know, when you've got a puppy, yes, of course, you do have to put a bit of effort in, quite a lot of effort in some puppies and dogs require more effort than others. But I'd have to say that in the majority of cases, I think people are probably putting in you know, somewhere between 10 and 100 times more effort and work than they actually have to. And you might be thinking, well, that's ridiculous. But it's not, you know, from what I've seen and the dogs I've worked with, um, when you win the dog's mind, it all becomes so much easier. A lot of the time I talk to people um, regarding dog training and I and you know, and they they will admit they feel like they're swimming against the water almost. They're swimming upstream against the dog. The dog is challenging them on everything, and it shouldn't be like that. If you look at nature, the wolves, the dogs in the wild, they're not constantly battling and bickering and fighting and arguing amongst themselves. And that's because the pack leaders are clearly established, and the rest of the dogs, they're a pack animal. They follow the pack leaders, so it all becomes so much easier. Now. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying um, that dog obedience classes are not necessary or a complete waste of time. But I'd have to say that for a lot of people, they are not the the best use of people's time. If you're simply trying to get a well-behaved dog at home who listens to you, who's obedient, and all the rest of it, because you know my consults that I run are only you know maximum sort of three hours long. And at the end of them, people have a completely different dog when they put the stuff in place. Three hours, sometimes two. Now, when you think about a dog obedience session where you're there for an hour, it takes half an hour to get there and half an hour to get back. You spend two hours in one single session. And there's dogs there who are two and a half years old and still aren't under control. They're still not listening to the owners. And um, so, yeah, think about it. If you do it right and you know what you're doing, you can save yourself a ton of effort and work. You know, we've got, we got chickens on the property. We've got a horse. We've got two children. We've got three dogs. And, um, you know, when we got little Moses turn up at eight weeks old, you'd think that we'd have been run off our feet. But we weren't. The, yes, the toilet training took a little bit of effort, a little bit of time. But he just slotted in because we knew what we were doing. 
And we knew that, you know, there was commitments we had to make to him. But when we got those things right in terms of being the pack leader, um, you know, there wasn't a massive amount of what I would call, quote, quote, training, which often takes an awful lot of time. If you get the psychology right, your dog listens to you. It's pretty straightforward. Okay, moving on quickly. Myth number two, there should only be one pack leader in the home. This isn't really correct. It's a very well-established myth. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, my dog only has one pack leader or he only listens to my husband. Now, that may be true, but that's not really the way you want it set up. I'd suggest that you really want it set up so that your dog is listening to both you and your wife and your, or your husband or your children as well. So basically, your dog does listen to other humans, not just one human. And they can certainly do that. You know, dogs in the pack have more than one pack leader. They'll have the alpha. There's always an alpha female in a wild dog pack or in a um, wolf pack. There's always an alpha male. And they all listen to both of them. And the point being, you don't just want your dog to listen to your husband or your wife. Because if they're not round and your dog doesn't listen to you, then you've got a bit of a drama going on. It's very similar to children. You really want your children to listen to both you and your partner. And if you have a babysitter come over and if you have other adults sort of um, looking after them and teachers, you know, you want them to listen and respect all of them, not just one person. And it's exactly the same with your dog. The key thing is, of course, understanding how to be the pack leader, how to show your dog you should be listening to me. I'm in charge in a very kind and gentle way. And of course, that's what the video website, the online dog goes through in great detail. There you go, though. Myth number two. You can tell people who say, oh, yeah, my dog, you know, my, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people I, I, um, I meet say, oh, my, why, my wife's basically the pack leader. And, uh, you think, well, what is, where does that leave you? Below the dog in the pack? That's, uh, that's a nightmare. That's a, you're setting yourself up for a disaster. Or, you know, my husband's the pack leader. He feeds the dog. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. You can both be the pack leader and then your dog can really relax and listen to you, um, listen to you both. Myth number three, tending puppy school is the most important thing you can do for your puppy. I would have to disagree. I'd say this is a myth. Now, this is probably quite controversial. I'm not saying that puppy schools can't be fun and, and uh, they're not good for your dog. And they're, obviously, they're a great way to socialize your little puppy. Well, some of them are sometimes. But they're not the most important thing. And the reason I say that is because so many puppies turn up to puppy school and their owners think that's it. They've done it. You know, they're going to have a lovely sociable puppy or a sociable dog. And, and of course, so many of those puppies turn into um, dogs with behavioral issues, antisocial behaviors. And you see, the connection is not really there. Just because you attend puppy class, puppy school, does not mean you're not going to end up with a dog with serious behavioral issues. However, there's loads of dogs who haven't attended puppy school where the owners have learned some very simple techniques for making sure the dog is socialized and understand who's in charge, and then they become very sociable little puppies and dogs. So what I'm saying is understanding how to be the pack leader is far more important as your puppy grows up. And of course, there are many ways to socialize your puppy, because socializing your puppy is important. Don't get me wrong. Of course it's important, especially around you know the 12-week mark. But there's many, many ways you can do that. And so many people, unfortunately, think that four little one-hour sessions at a puppy class suddenly qualifies you because you have a piece of paper saying, my puppy has graduated puppy class. It means you're going to have a great little puppy dog. 
One of the things with puppy classes is there's so much focus on things like the sit and the down and just letting the dogs run around that this really important information is completely and utterly missed out. And that's one of my driving reasons or my motivating uh, factors for putting together the video website, theonlinedogtrainer.com, because I just wanted to provide a way of every puppy owner worldwide being able to get that information that they really require in terms of um, raising their puppies uh, properly and uh, being able to raise them into you know happy, relaxed dog dogs. In fact, I've just come off the phone to a lady who's thinking of coming to my puppy classes, and I've actually put her off. I've said to her, "Look, this isn't really the solution." The solution is actually to understand how to be the pack leader, put some of that stuff in place with your puppy. She's got three dogs, two older dogs and a young puppy, and one of the young puppies is now fighting for who's in charge with one of the older dogs. And uh, as always, puppy puppy classes, they have their place. They can be great for socializing if you, if they're done correctly, but they're not the, the, the one-stop shop that a lot of people think they are. They're not the be-all and end-all. And there are many ways to socialize your dog. In fact, there's so many lovely dogs out there. Once your dogs, once your puppies had their vaccinations, you can take your puppy down the park and you can meet some of these older dogs or invite one of these older dogs around to your place, maybe a three- or a four-year-old, chilled out, relaxed, sociable dog, and you'll be amazed how well they behave around little puppies. Dog myth number four. Quality dog training is expensive. Well... It can be very expensive, but it doesn't have to be very expensive. In fact, you can get some of the best information at an absolute, you know, half the cost of a bag of dog food. You know, dogs are expensive. We, we pay a fortune for, you know, the, the tags, um, registering them, vet bills, insurance, dog food, dog bed, dogs, toys, dog clothes, all these things that people pay for, doggy daycare, grooming. They can you can clock up huge bills, but what I would suggest when it comes to dog training is you don't have to spend a fortune. Look, I've spent a fortune building this video website so that I can provide you all the information that you need for raising your puppy at um, a very, very reasonable price. And if you go and have a look at it, I think you'd be shocked. Um, you can go and have a look at it um, for a trial anyway and uh, check it out and you'll see. Yeah, that's the stuff that I show people during a consultation for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And it's all there, exactly the same sort of stuff about how to make sure you raise this puppy correctly from the beginning. So anybody who says, yep, quality dog training has to you know, be really expensive, it's not true. There is some great stuff out there. You just need to know how to find it. Myth number five. You can train a dog using only positive reinforcement. Now, Yep, look, some dogs, this will be true, but I'd say for the vast majority of dogs, you do have to go a little bit further than just positive training. It's a lovely theory, but I've been a parent, I've been a dog owner, and in both those situations, positive reinforcement is simply not enough. Sometimes with my children, there's stuff going on, and I need to step in there and put a stop to it real quick. And I have to have quite a few more tools than just a few pieces of chocolate and uh, a few little presents in my back pocket. You know, using cheese and using little meaty treats for your dog is great. You can train an awful lot. You know, the sit, the down, the come, the, re the recall. But there are also situations where you need to control your dog. Take control of the situation. And if they continue doing something that you don't want, you may have to give them some sort of negative reinforcement, as in a negative consequence to their actions, 
And I'm not saying you have to hurt your dog. I'm not saying you have to shout at your dog. But some of the tools, you know, like using timeout, are incredibly powerful. Now, that's not really positive reinforcement. It's giving your dog the message that if you keep maybe mouthing me like that, biting me, now you're five months old, I'm going to take you by the collar and put you in timeout. And that works so well with so many dogs, especially when you do it correctly. And that's where the videos are so powerful in the website. You can actually see me exactly how to do it, why you do it certain ways. And, um, and you know, timeout is just one example. I mean, I use um, a long line on dogs sometimes to show, say to them, you know, Moses was a great example. Um, when we, when he, as he grew up, he started being quite a barky boy. And just by having a line on him, and there's videos in the website of it where he starts to bark and I stand on that line, pick it up and just give it a little tug and just remind him, Moses, if you bark like that, I'm going to reel you in and put you on a short lead and I'm going to walk you around for five minutes next to me whilst all the other dogs are running free. So I was effectively saying, I will take away your freedom. And that, again, was a very powerful way of saying, look, that's not acceptable behavior, Moses. There are consequences if you carry on doing it. And he got the message really quick. But trying to use treats is not enough. In, in, to summarize it, I always say that you don't want to be using treats to stop bad behaviors. Same with children. You know, if a child's screaming, the last thing you want to do is, you know, basically say to them, if you stop screaming and shouting, stop fighting, I'll give you a little chocolate bunny. You don't want to be giving them treats for stopping bad behavior. You need to step in and give them some negative consequences, like I mentioned before. Myth number six, you should never use food treats with your dog because they'll come to rely on them. Now, this is sort of tying in with the myth just before that uh, positive reinforcement and food treats is all you need. It's basically a case of, look, sometimes in the right place, in the right time, with some behaviors, food treats are absolutely fantastic. One of those situations is your recall. I mean, at the end of the day, if your dog, the recall, sorry, is just where you call your dog to you when you're at the park or in the home and the dog comes running up to you. A great example is if your dog is having loads of fun with some other dogs or just having a, a good old sniff in some bushes or something and having a lovely time, it's not easy to get some dogs to come running, you know, 200 yards towards you if all you're going to do is give them a little pat or a cuddle. You know, they're not bothered about that that much. They, they may be one of these dogs who are kind of a little bit aloof and not that bothered. And, of course, if you use food treats, and I'm talking about the right food treats, and this is, you know, again, these are important things to go through in great detail regarding how to use food and what sort of food and what size pieces and how many and when and all this frequency is the important stuff. But if you get it all right, using food treats with so many dogs is all you need to develop a phenomenal recall. You know, I would have to say when I speak to people and they say my dog isn't interested or won't even come for food on uh, when I call them when they're off leash at the park or the beach, I'd have to say 90% of those dogs or 95% of those dogs within half an hour are coming to me like an absolute rocket. You know, first time I call them, they're like, they're like a bullet. And that's because I know how to use food treats correctly. And it's amazing how many people get totally confused about what they're really trying to do with these food treats and what sort of food treats and when to use them. It's absolutely amazing. But, you know, with 95% of these dogs, it's absolutely a piece of cake. Once you've communicated to your dog, hey, when I call you, all I want to do is give you a piece of tr a little treat. I'm not going to tell you what it is. That's one of the keys. 
and then I'm going to let you go again. And, and if you can make your dog understand that it's a lottery, that the dog will never know what sort of treat they're going to get, that's another really key thing to um, get your dog to understand. It's, it's going to be like a lottery. When I call you, come running, and I'm going to surprise you. Now, with a lot of those dogs, if you don't use food treats, it is a much, much harder. And yet the beautiful thing is, once you've established that recall, you can very quickly start fading the food treats out. And that's the worry of a lot of people, that if you start to use food treats, you're going to end up um, having to use loads of food treats all the time. And that's simply not true. You can very quickly fade them out. And if you make them random and you know how to make them random and what that really means to a dog, then, uh, yeah, food treats can be your absolute best friend. Okay, we're getting through them. Myth number seven, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's not true. Not true at all. Dogs are always ready to change at any age. You know, even the oldest of dogs. Many of the dogs I work with are uh, getting on a bit. And they're sort of ready for early retirement, as I call it. They might be sort of 10 years old or something. And they've been doing this job for so long. And maybe a younger dog's turned up. And the older dogs are just looking for the right message to be told. Where they're basically being told, you can relax now, switch off and retire. But if we don't know how to give them those messages, they keep trying to do the same old job and they're not really cut out for it anymore. But regardless of how old old your dog is, it's not so much the age of the dog which counts, it's the messages that we're giving them that, that count. You know, a lot of people say, my dog's stubborn and old and won't change. But that's because, you know, you're still giving your dog the same message. You've given your dog that message for six years and you're still giving him the same messages. When you know how to change, when we as humans know how to change, then we'll see the changes in our animals and those around us. But you've always got to look inwardly at ourselves first rather than just pointing the finger and saying, they can't change, he can't change, my dog can't change, she can't change. Look at inwardly first, make those changes, and then you'll actually start to see the changes in your dog. Myth number eight. Hard work and practice is all you need. Look, at the end of the day, there is a right way and a wrong way to train dogs. If you get it completely wrong, sometimes you just end up banging your head against a brick wall. You know, you can work really hard and practice for years and years and years. And I see loads of people like that, diligently walking their dogs on leads, trying to win their respect somehow, you know, just by marching and marching. And you see them at dog obedience classes. I look at some of these dogs and think, my goodness, you've been here for ages. You've been here for years. You're still here, my goodness me. My puppy's 14 months old and he behaves impeccably. Um, In so many of these situations where people are still year after year after year fighting to try and achieve that. And it's because if you don't know some of these secrets to first winning your dog's mind, then it becomes much harder to sort of uh, train the body. If you win the mind first, then the dog says, fine, you're in charge. Show me how you want me to behave, what you want me to do. And then it becomes so much easier. You can get rid of so much of the practice, practice, practice and all the hard work. Your dog is working with you as a partner, as a, as a member of your pack. And you can just sort of give the commands like you're in charge and uh, your dog kind of follows them out. Great dog trainers have basically learned to work smart, not hard. Sure, some of them have to put a bit of effort in with some difficult situations. But uh, yeah, the smarter you work, I just have to say the, the easier it becomes. So that was myth number eight. Myth number nine. I get a lot of questions about breeds of dogs and little dogs and big dogs. You know, 
So I've summarized it. Our little dog, oh, this is the, this is the quote. Little dogs are easier to train than the big dogs. And that's an absolute myth. What I'm really saying is, you know, the breed of the dog is not really the underlying factor in, in whether or not they're going to be difficult or not. There's some very difficult dogs out there, I'd say, um, or not very difficult, but some dogs are definitely more tricky to train. I'm not going to go into it in this podcast, but some breeds of dogs, I have to say, are much harder to train than other dogs. And it's not the big dogs. You know, there's some very tricky smaller dogs and there's some pretty easy bigger dogs. And I'm going to kind of leave it at that before I open my mouth and start talking about some breed and then I'm going to have to try and wind it all back in. But let's leave it at that. Yep. It's not about the size of the dog. It's, you know, some breeds certainly have dogs with more punch and more sort of get up and go and more drive and more um, enthusiasm and you know, just but like with people, it's not to do with the size of the person. There's some very small people who are very driven, um, very outgoing. I don't want to call them stubborn, but you could call, say stubborn. But likewise, there's there's big people who are like that as well, and vice versa. Myth number ten: Most of the dogs who have these behavioural issues are just a bit stupid. This is one of the biggest myths, really, that people who have dogs who are causing the problems have sort of slow or dumb dogs. And that's not true at all. In fact, it's, I'd almost have to say it's a little bit the opposite. You know, dogs who are incredibly intelligent and are looking for very, very smart pack leaders will not settle for an owner who basically doesn't know what they're doing. If you have a slightly more chilled out, laid back dog, you may have got away with it. In fact, many people I work with are in that exact situation. They've had many dogs before. They've had five, you know, there's one guy who'd had five Dobermans and this was his sixth Doberman and all the others would listen to him, but not this one. This one was dumb. This is just stupid, this dog. But it wasn't stupid at all. It was simply saying to this, the owner, no, no, if you want me to follow you, you've got to perform better than you're doing because you basically are not impressing me right now. In other words, I play, you know, the dog was sort of saying, hey, mate, I play an A game and you are playing a B game. And if you want me to follow you, you have to play a better game than me. Get it? You have to get a smarter grade and I'm already playing an A game. And this is where the, the owner had to basically start playing an A plus game, follow all the rules to being the pack leader, to really win that dog's mind. All those rules which are all inside the video website, theonlinedogtrainer.com. Put them all in place and then your dog will start going, ah, yep, that's what I'm looking for. That's what you weren't doing. Now you've got me. Now I'm impressed. Now I'll start listening to you and following you. So, yeah, that's the way I think of it a lot more. There's certainly, you know, the, there's very few dogs that I go and work with who are what I would call dumb or slow. It is almost the opposite. It often makes people laugh. What was it the other day? There was a, a dog. That's right. She, she always said that when I asked my dog to sit, the dog would look at her and she'd say it again and again. And then the dog would take two or three steps backwards. And then very slowly, whilst looking right into her eyes, the dog would sit. And she, she was convinced this dog had a sort of, some sort of mental problem. It was slow. It was so stupid, but he could, he knew what sit was. But it was a dog's way of sort of saying, you don't boss me around. You don't tell me what to do. You say sit like you're in charge, but let me show you. It takes you five efforts. You get a little bit stressed. And, uh, and then when I want, then I do the sit and I get the treat. And it was funny because within a couple of uh, probably half an hour of working with this dog, I called the dog over and 
Very calmly said, sit. The dog sat absolutely to the tee on the spot, immediately didn't move backwards. Within a millisecond, sat down. I gave him a little pat. And she couldn't believe it. Because then the penny started to drop. Okay, this dog's not stupid. He was just having me on. And it's like that with so many of these animals. These animals, these dogs are so smart. And we often uh, mistake their, uh, what we think is their dumbness um, or their intelligence. We mistake their intelligence and what they're really doing and the, the rings they're running around us for them being dumb. So there you have it. The 10 myths around dog training. Like I say, there could have been an awful lot more, but there are 10 which came to mind uh, yesterday and I made them into an article and uh, thought I'd make it into a podcast today. So that just about wraps it up. Remember, the notes for the show can be found at doggydan.com forward slash show nine. It's been an absolute pleasure being with you. Looking forward to some of the other shows that are coming up. There's loads of great stuff to look forward to. If you are interested in basically becoming that pack leader that I keep talking about, then do go to my video website, theonlinedogtrainer.com. Inside, you'll find everything to do with being the pack leader, a lot of these tools and techniques that I've uh, spoken about today, such as using that long line, developing that recall, using timeout. And of course, there's a whole section on puppy training, including Project Moses, which is basically the videos of me raising little Moses from eight weeks old right up to the adult dog that he is now. You'll find what you're looking for in there. Have a great day. I'm Doggy Dan. Thank you for listening. And as always, love your dog. You've been listening to another episode of the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, bringing you one step closer to creating harmony with your dog.